I'm just blessed. We, for some reason, we've got a lot of Chandler connections late, lately, and so, uh, but it's good. Our next, our last revival pa- was connected with Chandler. Our next revival with Tony Chase will be connected with Chandler. But we have a man here that I met numbers of years ago, more than I think either one of us want to remember, uh, want to admit. Uh, they were this young couple had come. And they were uh, taking over a work that had been started in the nation of Bulgaria. And a uh, mutual friend of mine called me and said, uh, you know what, they're, they're Americans, they've just landed, they're going through some things, uh, natural culture shocks and things like that. Why don't you go down and preach for them? So I called up Adam, I said, wow, I'd love to come and help you. And we uh, went, I think there's probably 2004 Somewhere around there, six, maybe-ish, a few, I've slept since then, so I can't remember exactly, but uh, he had a daughter, you, were you pregnant then? Okay, so even before the daughter, so that goes back a ways, anyway, and so uh, met him, and just, we had a friendship, we began to uh, um, just uh, fellowship at the conference there in Holland and such, and just watching him as well grow in the ministry because he was young and new in the ministry and to see him grow he's now in Virginia Beach as he came back from Bulgaria took over that work it's thriving now I had the privilege of ministering for him uh, back in February and uh, just to see what God is doing there they planted their first church in August and so just a real blessing to have him with us a great couple Open your hearts. Let's welcome Pastor Adam Drago. Praise the Lord. It's a great blessing and a great privilege. Um, the reason we're in the area is my wife and I are celebrating 22 years of marriage this weekend. So we, uh, yeah, she's the hero. Um, so we, uh, we went up to Niagara Falls for a couple of days to celebrate and uh Pastor Sullivan was very kind uh, to allow us to invite ourselves to come and be part of your service this morning. So get, appreciate the opportunity. It's nice to meet all of you. Had a great time in the concert last night. Uh, you've got a wonderful pastor uh, who's been a great friend to us. And when our heads were spinning in Bulgaria, uh, young people trying to figure out this ministry thing and and also missionary thing at the same time. And they came and kind of rescued us, and he uh, was able to really help us in a time of need. So uh, you've got a great uh, opportunity here, so I really appreciate you. I've heard a lot of good things about Rochester, and just being here uh, the last 12 hours or so, uh, I can tell. It's a good place to serve God. Hallelujah. A building's okay, (laughs) but I'm sure it'll get better. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) What a blessing. Exodus chapter 3 this morning. If you join me there. Um, your pastor also knows of a mutual friend of ours named Vitali Glopina. He was a pastor um, in the nation of Moldova and also in Ukraine. He's Ukrainian by nationality. And uh, we were so surprised. Last time we went to our conference in Chandler, Arizona, we, um, we got in touch with Pastor Vitali and Lo and behold, there's this Ukrainian guy with a Moldovan wife, and they are all of a sudden <clears throat> in Tempe, Arizona. I was so surprised to find them there. Uh, he had been back for conferences and stuff, but they, 
they had moved there recently, so it was great to be able to, to meet them there and fellowship with them, and they were kind enough to invite us over to their house. And so I asked them what a commonly, uh, you know, question that, that I like to ask people who are moving to America from places around the world. And uh, I, said, I said to him, his family, we were sitting there around the dinner table, what, what has been the biggest adjustment for you moving out of uh, Moldova, coming to the United States? And Nate sat there and looked around for a minute and said, you know, one thing is strange. Nobody takes off their shoes when you go to other, somebody else's house. And so if, uh, if you've done any travel internationally, you might have run into a couple of places where you go to someone's home and the first thing they tell you to do is take off your shoes at the door. And it's an interesting custom that goes back, especially in Asian countries and many European countries. And what's interesting, when you take off your shoes at the door, when you enter someone's house, it's for two important reasons that I want to ask you to think about with me this morning. First of all, it keeps the junk that you've been walking around in, keeps all of that outside the front door, keeps you from taking in dirty things. The other thing that it does is there's something about having a fellowship when you're both wearing your socks that you are all of a sudden on a deeper level, friendship, fellowship. It allows for a more personal connection. And so this is, this scripture we're going to read is actually one of the sources for this tradition of removing your shoes. A story when a familiar story as Moses approaches the burning bush in the wilderness. And I, I hope that God will speak to you through this message today as he spoke to me as I thought about this. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire, From the middle of the bush, Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go to see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Now, here's the the point that we're going to talk about today. Verse 5. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. This is an interesting moment in Scripture where God says, Don't move, Moses. You need to stay where you are. I thought God wanted us always to be closer to him. But there was something about Moses, the fact that he was wearing shoes, God said, stop where you are until this happens. This is a message I've titled, Take Off Your Shoes. I want to pray just a moment. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather in your house, and we're praying, God, that you would pour out your spirit for just these moments that we have together, that you would speak to your people, and that you would bring your anointing and your grace. We thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to think about baggage for a second and 
you know, if you, if you do any travel, we pastors tend to do a, a lot of travel. And one of the things that is a bummer about travel is carrying around baggage. You know, um, you wish that you could just take a small bag with you, and that's all that you would ever need for a trip. But reality is, if you ever go places, you want to take changes of clothing, you want to take all of your toiletries and toothbrushes and hair dryers uh, and, uh, you know, and uh, high heel shoes. Well, I don't take high heel shoes, but you know what I'm saying. We, you want to take all your accessories and, and various things. And so you end up at least with a large, heavy suitcase or two, some people more than others. And you kind of wish that when you get off the plane, you could just run out of the airport and go have a good time on your vacation. But that's not what happens. Everybody has to go to the baggage claim. I get depressed when I go to the baggage claim. And I remember, you know, how much junk I had to bring with me to survive on the trip. Well, when we meet this man, Moses, in our scripture, if you're familiar with the story, you will know that he is 80 years old at this point. 80 years old. Is there anybody here who's more than 80 years old? Okay, so all of you, I'm preaching to you this morning. Because you are not 80 years old. Uh, it means that God is expecting some things from us today. So Moses is 80 years old. And how many know you can pick up in 80 years... You can pick up a lot of baggage. This man has been through some things. And if you know the story, you can go back and read it for yourself. And chapter 1 is, of course, about the situation that the nation of Israel has found themselves. They've multiplied in the nation of Egypt. They've become slaves. And Pharaoh, uh, the Pharaohs have changed. And now there's a new Pharaoh on the scene. He's abusing them. He has put them put in bondage. And for 400 years, we know they've been praying, Lord, deliver us. This is too hard for us. And God seems to be silent for those 400 years. In chapter 2, there's a spark of hope as Moses is born. And the miraculous story of how his mother put him into the ark uh, in the Nile and floated him down the river. And there's... The daughter of Pharaoh who rescues him out gives him the name Moses, which literally means pulled out of the water. And so we have the history there, the story of his upbringing. He grew up literally in a palace as a grandson of the Pharaoh. And, uh, you know, we get a little brief description of his first 40 years of life. Then a, a life-changing thing happens with Moses. We know that even though he was a, a Jew, he was, he was born uh, of the tribe of Levi, uh, but he didn't, really, he didn't really identify as a Jewish person because he was Egyptian. He grew up in the Egyptian household. He ate Egyptian food, foods. He would wear Egyptian clothing. He would listen to Egyptian music. He probably practiced some of the Egyptian religion. and He would have been educated in Egyptian schools. And so, for the most part, this is an Egyptian guy by culture. When he turns 40 years old, he looks out of his palace window, and it's like for the first time he really noticed the abuse that was happening to his fellow brothers and sisters out there. 
And it, something rose up in him. He's angry about that. And so the Bible says he goes out and he looks this way and he looks that way. It's usually when something bad is about to happen. And he slays the Egyptian. He kills him, buries him in the sand, thinks that nobody saw him. But of course, the word got out, as it usually does. And, uh, and so now I want you to think about this for just a second. At 40 years old, what do you think the Jewish people that were in slavery and bondage, what do you think they thought of young Moses? Yeah, what, a, what a privileged scumbag. Yeah, who does he think he is? So probably not liked by his people, the Jews that were in bondage. But then he commits this murder. How do you think his Egyptian family that he grew up, what would they think of him? Oh, he turned his back on everything that we gave to him. We invested in him. We prepared him. We built him up to be this this potential leader of Egypt. And now, who does he think he is? Killing our guardsmen. So now he's in a place of life that no wonder he decides to run away from that because he's rejected by both his, his, his heritage, but he's also being rejected by the people he grew up with. That would be pretty hard to process, wouldn't it? And so no wonder that he runs away, and the Bible says he crosses over to Midian, the backside of the desert. So think about this, man. He's got some baggage here that he's trying to sort out. And for 40 years, he's living a very simple and a quiet life. For 40 more years, until we meet him here at 80 years old. Now, I just want you to think, what did Moses think about himself for 40 years? At this point, he has experienced all of the highs that life has to offer. He's experienced wealth, and and, uh, he's experienced good food. He's experienced popularity. Man, his, his grandpa was Pharaoh. I mean, you don't get more popular than that. And he, he has experienced all that this world has to offer. He is also knows what it feels like to be totally and utterly rejected. And so I'm not surprised that for 40 years, his main job was a shepherd, a herder of the sheep. You know why? Because sheep don't tell you your flaws. Sheep don't remind you of the mistakes that you've made. Sheep, all they do is they follow their shepherd, which is what sheep are supposed to do. And so for 40 years, an additional 40 years, Moses thinks that, man, my chance has been spent. Anything that I could have been in this life is now over. I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing the sheep thing because that's what I'm good at. And Moses had no clue, no idea that there was any other plan for him. Now, right there is where I find many people who come to church on Sunday morning. Many people who have gone through a lot. And guess what? We've been through a lot. Even if you've got a cushy and a nice life, the last two years has kind of been hell on earth. Yes, for many people, you've lost loved ones. I've lost a loved one. In the last two years, we've been through situations, we've been through heartache, we've been through problems, and you know know what happens is we, we end up carrying some baggage. 
And we come into a service like this, many church services that we attend, and we, in the back of our mind, thinking, this is probably as good as it gets for me. And like Moses at 80 years old, he says, my time has come and gone. Any chance that I ever had was 40 years ago. And, you know, maybe, maybe I'm expired. I'm used goods. I'm on the discount shelf at Walmart. Marked down half price. Because I'm just waiting to get out of here. So just give me a task, pastor, that is, you know, put a broom in my hand. And let me do something simple that I can understand. But how many understand this morning, God had bigger things for Moses. He didn't realize it. It reminds me that when Moses looked at himself, when he looked in the mirror, he saw nothing special. He saw probably a failure. Aren't we quick to beat ourselves up? He saw all of his problems and his failures and his setbacks and the murder that he had committed and the, the abandoning of his people and his responsibility and probably for 40 years throwing himself a, a pity party. That's what he saw when he looked at himself. God saw something different, though. God looked down at Moses, and he said, that's my man. That's the one I'm going to use. That's the one I need. My prayer out of a service like this, man, you guys are blessed. You had Patrick Johnson last week. You got Tony Chase coming up soon. And you got, uh, got this, this Oreo cookie white stuffing in the middle. But my prayer is that this service, that there was somebody here, that there would be a spark of hope for tomorrow. A spark of hope that perhaps God could reignite a flame of hope for your life. See, we all go through important moments of transition in our lives. This is this scripture that we read is a time of transition where God is bringing Moses out of one phase of his life and into a new phase of his life. Those we we will all go through liminal times. That's what that means. A lim, a liminal time is a is a threshold. It's a time where we are passing out of one area into another. And could it be this morning there's somebody that in this transitional phase of your life God's calling you to do something bigger, something that's going to be more difficult. It's going to have more responsibility. It's perhaps going to be more challenging than leading sheep around the desert. But it is exactly what God made you for. Now, I don't know what that is, but I believe God brought you here to hear this message that there's something that God wants you to do that you're not currently doing. And this message is how to get from point A to point B. Everybody with me so far? All right, so now my sermon begins. And point number one is this. Don't worry, I won't hold you too long. That's, um, that's the 11th commandment is for, for preachers. Is, uh, Thou shalt not preach too long. For uh, if you want to be invited back, you shall keep it short. Okay, so point number one is this. You can't bring dirty shoes into destiny. I want you to think about this 
moment in front of the burning bush. So I don't know if how true this is, but you know, commentators have said it was wasn't that uncommon to see bushes burning out in the wilderness. Uh, that maybe for shepherds to stay warm, to keep their sheep for a few moments, to warm them up on a cold night. Not unusual to see a burning bush. But the thing that was special about this bush was what? It was burning, but it wasn't burned up. Are we right? It's burning, but it continues on beyond the normal time. So think about that. In order to notice this, Moses would have to watch for a little while. You wouldn't, the thing that made this bush special was that it took some time to notice that it's not, it's not consumed. It continues to burn. That's strange. So, (coughs) excuse me, Moses would have had to stand there and watch this for a little while. Something's different here. So Moses, in him, there was some curiosity. Curiosity is good. It's good to be curious about the things of God. Maybe that's why you got to church this morning. Somebody gave you an invitation or you got, you, somebody told you their testimony and you were a little like curious. Like, whoa, that's, that's interesting. I want to hear some more. So let me come and show up and see what happens. Moses said to himself, why isn't it that this bush is burning up? I have to go see it. Something inspired him that drew his attention. And thank God for that. At some point, every one of us had to be inspired enough just to take the next step of curiosity. Um, In my life, that curiosity was sparked by a cute blonde girl. When I was 16, was working, minding my own business, and this girl sat next to me, and my heart rate jumped. And uh, I said, what are you doing tonight? And she said, I'm going to church. And I said, okay, I'll go to church. (laughs) Well, and here we are, 22 years later. Uh, But what I'm saying is that curiosity by itself, while it is an important step in your journey to God's plan for your life, it is not everything. Curiosity is not the same as devotion. Curiosity will not accomplish the will of God on its own. And if that's all you have this morning, it will fizzle. It will fade. Jesus said, Matthew twenty-two fourteen, many are called, but few are chosen. There's a reason for that. Because there's many people who experience curiosity about the things of God, saw a sign, decided to go visit a service, heard a song, watched a show on TBN, got inspired. Man, something, there's something interesting here. But if that's all it is, it's not enough. If that's all Moses had, he would have remained a shepherd. God is calling us to more. And calling is wonderful, but it's not enough to bring you into destiny. Many are called Few are chosen. And so, if we are to experience what God has for us, there is something else that has to happen. And this is where we meet Moses. He's curious. He's observing. God begins to call him. But then God says, stop. And this was what really inspired this message. Is when God said, do not come any closer, Moses. You stay right there. You are not going to come any further. Until you take off your shoes. Verse 5. 
Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. In other words, Moses, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. I've created you for something more than just leading the sheep. But if you're going to get there, there's something in you that needs to change. And it has to do with what's on your feet. Take off your sandals. I guarantee you, as you follow the Lord, as you continue in your journey toward him and toward his purpose for your life, you will approach moments exactly like this. Where God says, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you stopped to watch the fire burning. I'm glad that you're inter- I'm glad that you heard my voice. But right there is as far as you will come until you start taking your sandals off. I want to tell you what I think this means. Have you come to the service this morning wearing some baggage that is holding you back from what God has for you? I was inspired to preach this because a couple of weeks ago, we were in revival, <laughs> of course, for a, for a pastor, the weeks of revival tend to be very busy. And it just happened to be that on that same week, I was called in to do jury duty. How terrible is that? So they're hijacking my life to go listen to. And, you know, I, I figured I'll just go in and tell them I'm a preacher and they'll get, get this guy out of here. Turns out that they can't uh, discriminate against religious people. So, um, I actually ended up on a jury, and for three days, well, first two days is when we heard the case. Third day, we had to come back to do a deliberation, and I don't want to bog you down because I'm still tormented by what I heard on those two days. It was terrible. It was a, it was a rape case, and it was a young sailor. We're in a Navy town, and it was basically two different versions of what happened on this godforsaken night where a guy and a girl had a lot to drink, and uh, she got hurt, and uh, pressed charges against him. And so, it was a lot, of, lot of, a lot to go through during the week of revival, let me tell you. And then Wednesday, you know, come, come sit with a bunch of other uh, jury members, and now we have to talk about it, and think about it, and we have to deliberate, that's what juries do, and you know... Half of the room wants to convict the guy. The other half says there's not enough evidence. And we're trying to convince one another of all of this. So after all that, you know, it was a hung jury, unfortunately. I, I wish he would have got convicted. I think that he was guilty. But after all of that, we hang the jury. And I'm, I'm walking out of the courtroom on Wednesday. Now I've got to go to church. And I've got to be the pastor. And I've got to be the gracious host for our, for our uh, you know, visiting evangelist. And I found myself having to, if I have to do this, what I know I need to do, I've got to put some of this behind me. I've got to process this and take out the trash so I can move forward. And I felt a little piece, maybe, of what Moses felt that day. God said, I want you to move forward, but you're going to have to deal with this nastiness that you've been walking through for the last three days. And I had to put it behind me. 
See, God wants us to move forward in life. Can we agree? Sometimes we can't move forward until we deal with what's behind. What happens when you will obey the voice of God to remove your shoes? To me, when God said, remove your sandals, he's saying to Moses, there's some things in your history. There's some things that you've walked through, Moses. That if you're going to keep going forward, if you're going to enter a holy place, you can't walk here with those sandals on. You can't move forward until you deal with these issues of your past. So what happens when we decide, God, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to step forward and do the things that you've called me to do. What will happen? Verse 5 says, the place where you stand is holy ground. Now that's kind of weird because... One moment earlier, it was just a piece of dirt out in the wilderness. But when he removes his sandals, God says, now. It's not that he took a step onto the holy ground. It's he, he said, you take off the shoe, and right there, stop. Now, the place where you're standing is holy ground. I love the story of Jacob as he's wandering through the desert. And the Bible says, he just picks out a, a stone. He's tired. He's wrestling with life. He lays down common stone, common wilderness. Everything about this story screams common. And he lays down and he has a dream. And he sees this ladder between heaven and earth. And he wakes up from this dream and he realizes that the place that he slept that night is a holy place. He made an altar there. He sacrificed to God, and God was preparing him. Remember the story, he wrestled with the angel. And he says, the place where you, this is, I had no idea. This is the very throne of God, the very house of God. And that place to this day has the name Bethel, the house of God. It was a common place. Every day, he, people would pass through there. They didn't know. It was a special place that God had ordained for him. Now, some people may come into a service like this, oh, it's just a normal, just a standard Sunday morning. Normal padded brown chairs. Just uh, every day, the, the church people, yeah, we're all here together. I believe that when we take a step of faithfulness and obedience to God, that this can be more than just a normal church service. God can get a hold of our hearts and make the seat that you're sitting in right now, He can make it a holy place. I can take you back, if you ever came with me, to Chandler, Arizona. I can take you to the exact spot on the carpet where my face was buried on a Thursday night of conference where my tears went into the, into the fibers. Sorry, cleaning crew. But I can point you, I can point you to the spot right there where my heart was open to the call of God, became holy ground to me. And I would have never been that confused, lost guy in Bulgaria, except I took off some sandals right there. I laid down some dreams and some plans that I had for myself. I laid down some self-pity and some disqualifications about why I, why I couldn't do it. It became holy ground for me. The next thing that happened is in Moses, verse 6, 
Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. What is that? All of a sudden he has a personal conviction of his, his own sin and what's limiting him. Like he didn't have that revelation the moment before. It was only when his sandals were removed, he feels the presence of God, and he says, oh man, I, I got some issues here. My issues got issues. See, some people go through their whole lives, yes, they've got the baggage, yes, they've got problems they're going through, but never truly getting to the heart of the matter, which is sin. It's our own bad attitudes. It's our own stubbornness. I'm I'm sure there's no stubbornness in Rochester, no. But at least in Virginia Beach, in my city, people are stubborn there. Resist the will of God. Extinguish the fire of the Holy Spirit. No, probably not here. But Moses, when when he experiences God's presence, he says, woe is me. Like Isaiah, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. God, you got to deal with this. You got to change what's in here so I can move forward to what you have for me. Verse 7 goes on to say, The Lord said, I have seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. God is reminding Moses. What he is on earth for. You remember them, Moses? You remember your mother and your father and your brother and your sister who at this very moment are dying in their labor under cruel tasks? You remember them, Moses? You've got a cushy life there, walking the sheep around, but do you remember the need? Do you remember that your family is not the only family? That needs salvation and deliverance. Can you see? Can you remember the tears? Can you remember the whip going into their backs, Moses? I can see it. God says, I remember it. I hear it. I hear their prayers. Moses, I want you to experience that. I want you to remember that. Can, can we still agree this morning there's a need? There's a need probably right across the street from this church. There's people who are dying on their way to hell. Elementary schools, high schools in this neighborhood where you live, where you work. There's people there that need deliverance. That the whip of Satan goes into their back on a daily basis. They're bound. They're broken. I think there's probably still a few sinners left in Rochester. Who's going to reach out to them? God's God's heart breaks for them. And he says, man, wouldn't it be nice if I had a church full of people that remembered them? God commissions Moses, verse 10, Come, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the plan, Moses. I know you thought you were done. But you know what? you got 40 good years left, Moses. Moses' life is a, is a story of thirds. First 40, second 40, and the third 40. Maybe your life would be a story of thirds. First third, second third. 
last third. You know, a lot of times that last third, we get a little shaky, don't we? Maybe some of us, the second third, we start getting a little shaky. But God is into redemption. God is into redeeming us. And whatever stage of life you're in, I believe God has something for you to do. Isn't that why you're still breathing? Still pushing air? Still pumping blood? See, when God saves people, he doesn't send down the bank tube at the drive-thru and suck you up to, to glory. I, sometimes I wish, man, there's those people who are perennial backsliders, saved, backslidden, saved, and you're like, they come to the altar and repent and like, God, please, you know, send down the, the tube. Suck them up now. I don't know how long this is going to last. But God doesn't do that. He keeps you here in this broken, sinful world because, like Moses, he's got something for you to do. It's not the same something for everyone, but it's still something. Your job is to figure out what that something is and to obey the Lord. Finally, God has to overcome Moses' personal hang-ups and remove his excuses. This is the hard part. You thought, thought we were already done with the hard part. Moses said to the Lord, verse 10, I am not eloquent. Well, you, you know, Moses, you did use the word eloquent. Like, that's kind of a $5 word, you know. I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to me. I am slow of speech, slow of tongue. See, Moses did exactly what everybody here does. When, you, when I tell you, God's got a plan for your life. Oh, come on. Let me, let, me, let me just move over here a little bit. See, I'm not the guy that you think I am. I'm not the person. I'm not the kind of person that God would use. I'm not that spirit. I'm not like, you know, I'm not like Pastor Sullivan. Whoa. Man, yeah, God could use him. But me, you know what I've been through? You know, I'm not really talented like Brother Gavin. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I can't, I'm not good with crowds. I can't. That's what Moses does. It's like God said, uh, <clears throat> who made that mouth of yours, Moses? Wasn't that me? Verse 11, who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth. You know, God says, I can be with your mouth. We're talking about fruit of the Spirit this morning in Sunday school. God can be with your mouth. God can be with your thoughts. God can be with your hands and your feet. We're called to be Jesus in our generation. Isn't that right? All God is waiting for is for us to lay aside the excuses. Say, okay, okay, you got me. You got me, Lord. And I want to do your will. I want to close. One of the signs, maybe you've experienced this in your neighborhood. You can tell when somebody moves out of their house because all of a sudden, there's no trash on trash day. Isn't that amazing that, you know, once a week in my neighborhood, once a week, I can take all my trash, I can put it on the side of the road, and there's a big guy in a big truck who comes and whoosh, there it goes. Not my problem anymore. 
can get rid of what's filthy. Can I tell you something? That is a sign of life. And if you notice that there's a house in your neighborhood that the trash can is never out, what does it tell you? Nobody lives there, right? A sign of life is taking out the trash. Can I tell you that's why we have an altar? The altar is not the place for the super spiritual. It's not for those of us who have it all together. It's the place where we can come once, twice, three times a week. Say, Lord, there's some junk building up in here. I need to take off these shoes so I can move forward with you. And I can experience, God, all that you have for me. So whatever it is that God's been dealing with you about, maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's letting go some of your history that's been holding you back. Maybe you've been struggling to surrender to the will of God. I want to challenge you, like Moses. Don't move. Stay right there until you take off your sandals. Take off your shoes. Take out the trash. And move forward with God. Let's bow our heads for just a moment and close our eyes. And God's going to speak to us. There have been crucial moments in my life, in my ministry, in my marriage... There have been crucial times that God said, you know what, Adam, you need to stop right there. Before you do anything else, before you make your next decision or plot your next move, stay right there because there's something lurking that I need to deal with. I'm praying that God would put his finger on that something in your life today. Before we close this service, though, maybe you found yourself here. In the Potter's House Church, on Sunday morning, the 13th of November, it's no accident that God brought you here. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you've been hearing about the salvation that God can provide. Moses was a deliverer. God sent him to go and stand in the gap for those Jewish people those thousands of years ago. But I'm here to give you some good news. There is another Savior, another Deliverer, who stood in your place. Who cried out to that, that one that was in keeping you in bondage. The cruel taskmasters of life and sin and bondage and the demonic. Maybe you've come here this morning out of curiosity. Say, can, can a person like me be saved and set free? I want to tell you, this room is filled with people who have done worse than you. With people who have gone further than you. The devil loves to point you out and single you out and say you're the only one who have ever struggled. And that you'll never be like these people. Maybe that's the lie you're hearing this morning. I want to tell you, Jesus is God's son. He came to this world not for the righteous. Not for those who have it all together. But he comes for those are sinful and broken and lost I came into the church for all the wrong reasons but God found me there confused broken 16 year old kid I was angry at the world I was bound in perversion and lust confused wandering in circles it seemed God found me and Jesus died for me and I I heard a message just like this and said If you'll turn from your sins and trust in Jesus, 
and God can make you a new creation. And I believed that message. And I said, God, I don't know if you could ever use somebody like that, like me. But if you can, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to turn from my sins and trust in you. And I said that prayer as a teenager. My life has been radically different ever since. And I want to tell you, you're here this morning. I'm not talking about religion or even about joining a church. I'm talking about a new life. A new life in Christ that he can set you free from sin to bring you out of your bondage and into a new life. of Freedom. Freedom from sin. And if that's you, that describes you. This is good news. Good news that Jesus Christ can set the captive free. Maybe you're that captive today. I would love to pray with you and lead you to salvation. And if you'd be willing to do that same thing, to say, Pastor Adam, Pastor Keith, I'm here today and I want to turn from my sin. I know it's killing me. I know it's destroying me. But I want to be set free. I want to come out of my Egypt. I want to come out of that bondage and I want to be set free. You can do that this morning with a simple prayer. But I want to ask you to do one thing quickly. We just lift up your hand. You say, please pray for me. I know that I'm not right. I don't want to embarrass anybody. With our eyes closed, our heads bowed for just a moment, you say, Pastor, please pray for me. I, I need what you're talking about. I need that freedom, that salvation. I need that new life that Christ offers. Would you lift up your hand? Is there someone here? Quickly, God's dealing with you. I don't know what this means. Yeah, that's okay. You don't have to understand it all. But you do have to turn from your sins. You do have to be willing to open your heart, turn from from the life that has brought you to this point. Say, please pray for me. Is there someone quickly backslidden in your heart? You know what it means to serve God, but you found yourself here today wandering and lost like the prodigal son in the far country. You found yourself broke, messed up back in the sin that God once delivered you from. Can we pray for you this morning? Would you lift up your hand so I can see it? Please, right now, God's dealing with your heart. Unsaved or backslidden, can I pray with you? Is there someone here? Quickly, quickly, as God deals with hearts. You'd slip up your hand very quickly. Is there anyone at all? Thank God. I preached this morning a very simple message. Allowing God to process And deal with those things in our lives that have gotten us stuck. How long are you going to wander in the desert, avoiding God's will for your life? How long? How many years is it going to take before you finally surrender and say, God, whatever it is you have for me, I'm willing to do it. You've made your excuses. You've told God all the reasons why you can't. And still, God says, am I not the one who called you? Am I not the one who made man's mouths? Am I not the one who can use your life? I want to tell you, God has used crazier people than you. God has used more broke people than you. God has used more lost people than you. And I want to ask you this morning, I don't know what God is calling to you, but I do know God is calling all of us to something. And as we stand to our feet this morning, we're going to open this altar to be a place of surrender where God can challenge us, God can speak to us, and God can help us remove our sandals. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to open this altar for prayer while we sing the song of worship. God's going to help us today. Oh, Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none Father, we need you. And 
Would you speak to hearts this morning by the precious blood? God, we thank you today. sing it with us this morning as we stand oh God all that I am and all that I am never cease to worship lift up your hands as we sing a shout to the Lord and shout to the Lord all the earth let us sing Jesus.